The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. It is February 22nd. We are going to talk about Marquette as a true contender for the Final Four. Yes, I said that right. We're going to recap the Creighton game. Then we're going to go over kind of the bigger picture, what this means, why it finally convinced me that it's more than just winning the first NCAA tournament game since 2013. We'll also talk about the Brewers' depth signings with Luke Voigt and Taylor Naquin. Tyler Naquin, there it is. What that could mean for the Brewers this season, how I think both could help, at least in spring training, and maybe push some of the young guys. Then lastly, we'll talk about the writing on the wall for Aaron Rodgers and then Jordan Love to be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Yet another positive Jordan Love article comes out this week, uh, this time from Tyler Dunn, who's been in Love's corner for a while. We'll go over that. We'll kind of talk about where we are with sort of the Love Rodgers situation and just kind of the state of it, I guess. I know it's something we talk about all the time, but I just feel like it keeps evolving. I think every big article, there is something more to it. And to just keep unpacking and unpeeling the onion, I think really helps you, the listener, kind of understand where we are right now so you're not flooded with misinformation. And we're kind of doing a, doing our due diligence of keeping you updated on where things are at. Before we get going, just a reminder, we are on social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter. You might have saw my review last night. It was rowdy. Uh, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram and TikTok. I did a whole thing on both platforms about why Mark Murphy is the reason Aaron Rodgers is still here. We'll probably get into that when we talk about the love stuff at the end of the podcast, so you can make sure you like that. I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, I was figuring out how to do all that split screen stuff that all the cool kids do. Uh, it was nice. It came out really nice. I was really happy with it. Um, just hoping, hoping everybody sees it the same way I do. I was really proud of that one. Um, Also, make sure that you are rating and reviewing if you're already subscribed. If you are not subscribed, if you're new, if you came in from the reviews, if you just started following me on one of the social media platforms, we are everywhere. We are on Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, we are there. And if we are not, drop me a line on one of those social media platforms and we will make sure that our RSS feed is there. All right, let's talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles. It is late right now. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't usually do podcasts this late. I usually, if I'm this late starting a podcast, I save it for the next day. I I can't sleep. I'll be honest with you. I am still absolutely buzzing from Marquette's big victory over the Creighton Blue Jays, 73-71 to 71 in Omaha. Uh, one of the best Marquette wins of my lifetime, honestly. Like, I, I'm not even, that's hyperbole, but seriously, it felt so great. Uh, the the just how it all played out. If you go back, I thought a little bit about doing a running audio diary, uh, a la what Bill Simmons used to do with his running diaries on his websites and things like that. Uh, but I decided against it. I was like, nah, we'll talk about their contender, which we'll get to in a second. But I obviously have to talk about the game first. Marquette down eight at halftime. It felt like okay, it was kind of where things expected to be, right? If you look at the Vegas line, uh, Creighton was a six and a half point favorite. It seemed just about right in all facets. I think the over-under was 146, so we were a little high, but still we were we were all like on pace with what we expected this basketball game to be. Then Marquette came out with a fury in the second half. They had five turnovers in like the first four or five minutes. 
Uh, they just completely blasted Creighton in that first quarter of the second half. And I love Ken Palm, which I look at religiously, breaking it down by quarters. Because when that happened, Marquette took over that third quarter, 24-13. to 13. At one point, Marquette has a 63-53 to 53 lead with six minutes left to go in the second half. And they had Creighton dead to rights. It looked like this thing was going to be wrapped up. But Creighton crawled back. And it's not surprising. It is one of the toughest places to play. It is not an easy place to play. Creighton has been so good at home. The stats that Creighton has at that gym are absurd. Now, has Marquette done well there, even in Steve, the Steve Wojciechowski days? Yeah, actually, which is really weird. But it's, it's been a place that Marquette actually feels comfortable in for some reason. And they have a good game plan against Greg McDermott. And Creighton kept crawling back, kept crawling back. McDermott weirdly follows also Iguodara, which is I thought was a huge moment in this basketball game because they, they were on a 7-0 run. They had all the momentum. Marquette couldn't figure out their zone, and they decided to do a hack of Oso with three minutes left to go in the game. Now, Oso Iguodara, from a percentage standpoint, is not a good free throw shooter, but he's had a lot of clutch throws. He had clutch free throws in the Xavier game. I think he had clutch throws in the Villanova game. There are a couple of different examples where yeah Oso Yadara can't hit free throws you know on a random like four minutes left to go in the first quarter first half excuse me but in the second half late in the game clutch moments he seems to come up big it's similar not to compare the two but it's similar to Giannis Antetokounmpo right where Giannis can really struggle from the free throw line but when it's nut crunching time he's delivering and that's what Oso Yadara did in this moment and that sort of settled down Marquette. It was a bizarre move by Greg McDermott. Their fans are all pissed off because of the Jeff Anderson foul call on, on Cam Jones, where they thought it was a steal. Uh, they, they were pissed off at Shaka Smart celebrating. What they really should be pissed off at is that Greg McDermott basically fucked over their entire momentum. Like, that's not our fault. That is not our fault at all. And it's not our fault that you couldn't make a couple more shots in this game and win the basketball game. And that Ryan Kalbrenner, for all the hype that he gets and how he is a defensive presence, he was barely a guy tonight. Like, he just did not do much. He had 12 points. He made a lot of it from the free throw line. He only was able to grab four rebounds. He had a couple blocks, two blocks in this game. Yeah. And, I mean, it just was not – it was an ineffective game for a guy that's supposed to be the Big East player of the year. And Tyler Kolick came down the stretch and did what Tyler Kolick does, hitting two big shots over Colburn. He went around Colburn the first time, and then he had the goal to take it right at Colburn. He hit a floater over Colburn. was one of the best shots I've seen Tyler Kolick make all season. And he just, it, it, he knew it. Like, I couldn't believe, I think at the time, I didn't have enough time to be like, oh my God, I can't believe he's taking that. Kind of like, you know, when, Someone winds up a wild three. You're like, oh my God, no, 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 no. And then it's like, yes. And you don't, you didn't have time with that floater, but that was exactly how I felt. Like I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Are you really gonna try this? And he did, and he made it, and he won the game. And Marquette finds a way to beat beat Creighton on the road, being down eight points at halftime. They did that shit. There is a real chance that Marquette has a chance at the Big East title. I want to talk about that in a second as kind of a prelude to it next and the contender part of it. But 
Before we do this, really quick on Kolek, 18 points. Cam Jones had 19. Oso Iguodara had 18. I actually think Oso was the player of the game. I agree with Ken Palm as the MVP of this game because Oso, I thought, was extremely effective in the second half. He looked lost a little bit on Colbrunner, and they figured out how to bring Colbrunner out. And once they did, there was no match. Like I do wonder if Marquette gave everybody the playbook on Creighton. Now, I feel like that playbook should be obvious, right? Just bring the big man out and force him to do that. Now, granted, not a lot of teams have a guy like Oso Iguodara at 6'10", where, or 6'9", he's listed in the uh, the media guide, where you can bring, the, bring him out and he can kind of be a point forward. But if you have a point forward, it is a bad matchup for Creighton, and Oso Iguodara was able to exploit that. But yeah, big moments from the, all three of those guys. I, I really, really thought they all had different moments in this game. And that's that's what you need. And that's what you need against teams like Creighton. And that's how you win Big East titles. That's how you elevate yourself to contender status. And let's start with the Big East. And then we'll move on to the March Madness and the contender part of it. Big East title is... Marquette's for the potential taking. Now, Providence is only one game back. If they lose to Creighton tonight, and it's going to be in the gamble, it's $2 beer night, it, the vibes will be high. Creighton Providence fans don't really like each other. Uh, if you follow No Escalators on Twitter, who is a famed uh, UConn fan, he is a perpetual troll against Providence, and I truly do appreciate it. Uh, but yes, we are all Huskies tonight, if you're a Marquette fan. And they have to, if they get it done, Marquette can get a share at least with a win against DePaul on Saturday night at the Pfizer Forum where it will be likely a sellout or very, very close to a sellout. Thankfully, in the building for it. I wasn't planning to be. My wife was going with her friend uh, and her mom. And so, or my, not and my mother-in-law, uh, whatever it may be. But it, so it was going to be a girl's night. My, my wife asked me if I wanted to crash. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. Usually not who I'm watching hoops with. But I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like two weeks ago. I'm so happy. I'm so happy I did that. And I'm actually fortunate enough to be there for St. John's. So I will be in the house now, I think the last four regular season games. And I think that has brought me closer to this Marquette team because I've been at a lot of these games. And really just this season has been an absolute dream ride. And you think about all that we've been through as sports fans, if you are a Packer fan, if you are, I mean, Bucks have been pretty solid, but the injuries have been, you know, an issue. But at, but you had a rough 2022. The Brewers was an absolute disaster. So to have this as sort of a palate cleanser is really, really solid. And if you are those like me, who I know people hate this, but those who are Badger fans as Badger football fans as well, like this has been the best season for any of the Wisconsin sports teams, bar none, since really the Bucks 2021 well, the Brewers had a good run in 2021 before running into the brick wall that was the Atlanta Braves. That was a really good season. They were 97 wins. So you had the 2021 Bucks championship team, obviously. Then the Brewers 2021. Then you had the Packers, which had a great season and then got derailed by San Francisco. So those were like the last, like 2021 was an amazing year. 2022 was complete shit. You did have the surprise Marquette year, but everything else kind of went off the rails. And Marquette has been a beacon of light. And it's been just a absolute joy and a pleasure. But yes, if Providence were to lose, Marquette has a chance to get a share. And then Marquette has a real chance at winning outright. All they have to do is beat Butler and they have to beat St. John's and then obviously beat DePaul. 
Now, I will preface. None, none of those teams are going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think any of those teams are going to make the NIT. This will be their Super Bowl. And that scares the living fuck out of me. I will just say it. I, I won't put, I won't sugarcoat it. Sometimes I try to sugarcoat it. I think I swear too much sometimes on this stuff. But I will not sugarcoat that. It scares the living fuck out of me. This team is very, keeps about themselves. They keep their head down. They take care of business. They have not had really a scare besides a little bit of the uh, Butler. Uh, but even in that game, it never felt like Butler was going to make a push to beat Marquette. But yes, DePaul will treat this as a Super Bowl. It's Yes, it's in Marquette. They won't care. It's, it's a rivalry in quotations. They know that they could put a damper on what has been a damn near perfect season for Marquette, even if the record doesn't say it. Butler Senior Night. What's a better way to go out than to beat a team that's going to be a top 16 seed in the NCAA tournament? I think that sounds pretty good if you're Butler, right? And then St. John's. It's the same. It's the same thing. I think St. John's out of the out of the three probably has the least amount of motivation, especially if Mike Anderson's out the door. Now there were rumors of Mike Anderson being out the door. They beat Providence at home. I think if it was in Madison Square Garden, I'd be a little more nervous or Carnesecca Arena. But being that it is in Milwaukee, I do think and that crowd will be lit as well as the kids would like to say. So I just I do worry a lot about that DePaul and Butler stretch. Just that the hangover isn't too isn't too severe from the game against Creighton and knowing that you're at the doorstep and you just need to push down that door. As for the NCAA tournament, hopefully the committee has seen enough to make Marquette a three seed. I didn't I spent a little time on it on Monday about what an absolute fucking joke it was that Marquette was a four seed. And the big E and the Big 12 got sucked off, like, you know, whatever. I, I could use some sort of porn star analogy. It's late. It's it, but we won't do it. We won't go there. I did it already in a in a video online, so I don't need to go back to the well. But I hope this is a wake-up call for the committee. Iowa State was a three seed. Iowa State just lost to Kansas State and they got blown out by Texas tonight. Iowa State really was a three seed? Really? That Iowa State team, who's I think now lost five of the last seven, that team was better than Marquette. Get the fuck out of here, okay? And I, I hope this is proof. This is all that this is all that I was saying on Saturday when I went on my rant on that, which is all I do. <laughs> but seriously, like it was crazy. And so now Marquette finds themselves as a three seed. I think I don't know if it's comfortable. Because I don't know how they feel about the Big East. I think the Big East is damn talented. I think if Villanova starts reeling off wins and all of a sudden Villanova is the team you don't want to play come the Big East tournament, I think that can really help the the Big East overall sort of stature about how the committee feels about them. And yes, I do think that there is an opportunity that Marquette can make a run here. I still want Marquette just to win one game. Just one game for Marquette. I, I don't think it's good enough for me anymore. That is, that's out the window, right? But I do want to shake the moniker that they haven't won a, tur- a tournament game since 2013. Some Badger fans who are very anti-Marquette like to use that one. I want to put that in the fucking ground. I want that to be over. Then I want to get back to the Sweet 16. Then push the Elite Eight. And then a Final Four for the first time since 2003. Now, we have no tournament experience. 
They yes, they played against North Carolina, but that game was over before it started. They got absolutely wiped in that game. They've at least been in a tournament. They've went through the walkthroughs. They've went through the preparation. And you could make the case that they have a little bit of that. They have a little bit of knowledge, but it's uncharted waters when you if you get to a Sweet 16. It's very. It's like you're in the absolute deep end if you get to the Final Four, right? But I look at this tournament. And it is completely wide open. I hate to use, of all people, to use a quote from. I hate to use a quote from Rick Pitino. But it, and and I, don't, I didn't know Rick Pitino was dropping just hot takes on his Twitter account. But here's what Rick Pitino said. And with college basketball, because he was just talking about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns in his last week. If you can pick a Final Four or a national champion, you have a crystal ball. I've never seen such parity in my life. Anyone can win it this year. Remember, Rick Pitino has been in basketball forever, right? He's been there forever. If that's how Rick Pitino feels, it opens the door for everybody. And I think you look at what's happening in Alabama, and we don't need to get into it. It's terrible. Nate Oates should be suspended. Brandon Miller should be suspended. But they're best. They're one of the best teams in basketball right now, and they are a complete clusterfuck. Purdue has the demons of every team that has not made the Final Four. Houston has made the Final Four, but does Houston really have enough to level up? They feel like a better Tennessee. And Tennessee, what they've lost now five of seven. They were two seed uh, by the committee. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, ACC just has Virginia and Miami and it's everybody else. I think Miami's damn talented. But again, like how can you trust anybody in the ACC? So then, and then you have UCLA who I really like. I would say UCLA and Kansas are the two teams where I'm like, all right, yeah, I feel comfortable. But you still have to fill out, there's four teams. That's the thing about Final Four, you have four. So why not Marquette? It's a great question. Because they, they have, they check all the boxes. Their defense, yes, has, does not fit the Ken Palm model. But remember, that is for a national champion. And this is going to sound like loser talk where it's like I, the Final Four, the championship is the goal, right? But what's weird about college basketball, and college football is the same thing, where it is still an accomplishment if you get to the semifinals. If you make the, play, if you make that, the playoff in college football, People take that. People use that. That that banner gets hung, right? You make the Final Four, a banner goes up. Would you want to win a national championship for the first time since 1977? Absolutely. And that's where you go into, do you have enough defense? Do you have enough offensive rebounding to get that? No question about it. But the future is also really bright for Marquette. Like All these guys can come back. I do think we have to have an NIL conversation at some point. Um, but that's not for today. We're not going to go into negative town today. We are riding the high of of positive land. I think was it in Anchorman when Ron Berger said, I think I just fucked a unicorn. I, no, is that or two unicorns fucking something like that. Uh, but that's how we feel right now. Okay, so we're not we're not doing that. But I, I think with Marquette and being a contender, to have the point guard Tyler Kulik. They have the coach in Shaka Smart who's been there before, who knows what it takes. They have the, they've made adjustments against everybody. You could argue that there's a weird world where Marquette is undefeated. Oh, no, I take it back. They lost the Connecticut straight loss. But that's the only one 
that is a straight up loss that they, you know, just got blown out, wiped from the floor. In that Xavier game, they lost on the road. Couple shots break their way, they win that game. If they hold their water against Purdue and not blow it down the stretch, they win that game. If they don't blow it down the stretch against Providence and have a bunch of shady foul calls, they win that game. Like the Wisconsin game, if they don't get run out early and Chucky Hepburn is the second coming at Steph Curry that night, they win that game. That's the absurdity of Marquette this year. And in the best way possible as a fan. And that's how I look at this and I say they are a contender. I did a podcast, I think it was three weeks ago, four weeks ago, where I was like, yeah, this is kind of the ceiling. This is how I feel. And Alan Bayakowski, who is part of Crack Sidewalks, was like, no, I think they're, I think they're, they could win a championship. And Alan kind of laid it out. And Alan's a really smart dude and writes about a lot of this stuff. And I trust him. And when he said that, it wasn't that I didn't trust him. I just was not there yet. I didn't get there. But watching Marquette come back from eight down against a team that a lot of people will put in their final four. People will put Creighton in their final four because of Kalbrenner, because of Schneiderman, because of Nibhart. Like they'll, they will put them in there. Probably more than Marquette, honestly. I can't help but think that this team can contend. This team can get there. And they can find themselves in Houston. I dropped to see you in Houston at the end of the review. I, I've been saving it. Honestly, I've had it since but, the Butler game. I think I told Mitch that on a podcast. Like, I've had it. I just, I, the time had to be right. And the time is now. This team can get to the Final Four. And once they get there, we can talk about bigger things. And we can talk about if, the, if there's a chance to not get wiped out like uh, Dwayne Wade and Travis Diener did in 2003. But I, I believe, man. And it's not that I didn't believe. It's just that I, it's, you just hit another level. And I think there are always those moments in special years, no matter the sport, where it just hit, it goes to another level. And tonight was another level for me. And it's already been a dream and somehow it keeps getting better. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Brewers are in spring training. I think their first game is actually this weekend against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Milwaukee Brewers added some depth. Uh, they signed Luke Voigt and Tyler Naquin to minor league deals with an invite to major league camp. Uh, part of the thought process here is the Brewers will have guys going out for the World Baseball Classic, which is coming up, which I'm very actually excited for. Uh, we'll have to figure out the gambling guide for that, but that's it's going to at least provide some entertainment during the day uh, with those games on. But also, you'll have opportunities for other guys to play, and that's where Naquin and Voigt fit in. Let's start with Voigt, and then we'll move our way to Naquin. So Voigt is a right-handed power hitter. He has a big old bat. Luke Voigt, at one point, was a top-rated prospect. He is 6'3", 255 in the media guides. And if you want to say the Brewers have a type, they absolutely do. No one likes themselves a fat first baseman quite like the Milwaukee Brewers. So Luke Voigt did not have a great year. He was traded in the deal that sent Juan Soto to the to the San Diego Padres. Voigt finished the year with 22 home runs. He batted about 227. Uh, there wasn't exactly much for Luke Voigt. He didn't strike. He struck out a lot in actually. Yeah, last he did 179 strikeout, 179 strikeouts, which was the most strikeouts he's had since the 2019 season with the New York Yankees. Uh, 
the power is definitely there, right? The guy can hit for power. He has some nice, impressive barrel numbers. If you look at you know, what he's been for his career, he can pound the baseball. And if he gets a hold of one, look out. And that's that's exciting. Like that's good to have that right-handed power with Rowdy Telez batting from the left side. You are building, you know, more of a power unit with the Brewers offense, which at times they desperately lacked. And one of my frustrations with last year's Brewers team and really I think even 2021 was I think Vogelbach wasn't on the team in 2021, right? Let me look at that. Because and of course it's another big right-hander, but the, I felt like last year, especially, the Brewers lacked a guy who you just is eighth inning, one on, you're up, you're down one, you're down two, and you have a guy come up and just try to run into one, as Bill Schroeder would like to say. And they just did not have that guy. Oh, Vogelbach did play with the Brewers in 2021. That's right. He had a pretty good year uh, with the crew, uh, with nine home runs. But, and then it had an even better year with the Pirates and the New York Mets in the year, the year after. But, with Voigt, like, we lacked that last year. We didn't have that guy. And now you get a guy with Luke Voigt who has some real raw power, and you're able to hit dingers in American Family Field. And I just I think that's really helpful for what Milwaukee what Milwaukee needed from a from depth. From they just needed more depth on that bench, and Voigt gives them. And he's gonna push Keston Hero. I think that's the other part of this. Casting Hero's job is not safe on the 40-man roster. I think we all love Casting Hero. I think Casting Hero is a fan favorite. But Casting Hero has getting close to wearing out his welcome, I think, with the Brewers organization. I think Craig Council really doesn't like his defense. I think Craig Council, there's just something that Craig Council finds wrong with Casting Hero. I like Craig Council a lot. I think his issues with Casting Hero are kind of mind-numbing. I don't. I, I just have never been able to square it up. I don't know if they're able to keep both Hira and Voigt on the team. Feels like that would be investing a lot of roster space in corner infielders who can really only play one position. Uh, Voigt at one point played outfield. I doubt he can play that still. Um, so, And you already have a DH in Jesse Winker. Like what's sort of the purpose of Luke Voigt uh, if... He's not, you know, what Keston Hira is. So I think there's going to be a real competition between Hira and Voigt. And if Hira, if they do both make the team, whatever. That's, you know, how Craig Council wants to construct the roster. But I, I am losing, I guess, I think he's the biggest loser with the Luke Voigt signing. Because that is the guy that is going to get pushed the most here. And it pushes him to perform. Do I like Luke Voigt's chances a little bit better than Keston Hira's overall? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think I just think there's a little more evidence there that Luke can be a more consistent hitter and not go in these crazy cold slumps. And that he can provide sort of that spark for the Milwaukee Brewers. And the Brewers, to their credit, have been really good at pulling these very talented players out from nothing, right? We saw it with Eric Thames. We've seen it with Casey McGee going back. Like, they, they have an ability to sort of find diamonds in the rough. And maybe Luke Voigt's this guy too. Um, he's bounced around a little bit, but maybe this is an opportunity. He talks about how he wanted to be here, how he wanted to play for a team contending for a World Series, and that could win a World Series. Funny too, funny thing for probably other Brewer fans to hear, hear Voigt say that, but it's true. 
And I, I love that. And like, I love that attitude coming into it. And, you know, and I, from all intents and purposes, seems like a good guy, seems like a good clubhouse guy. So why not? Let's add him to the party and see what he's all about. As for Tyler Naquin, I, Craig Council mentioned it, uh, that the Brewers kind of lacked some depth when it came to their outfield. They didn't really have any veteran outfielders, and he was absolutely right. And it was something that I was adamant with Mitch about, where I was like, where the fuck are these these outfielders coming from? Like, you have Garrett Mitchell, you have Tyrone Taylor, you have Yalich, obviously. Jesse Winker is an outfielder, but all, all signs point to him being a DH. And then that's it. You have Brian Anderson who might go out there. You have Mike Bourseau who might go out there. But those guys are more infielders by trade. They're not They're not outfielders. So insert Tyler Naquin. And Tyler Naquin is – he's a serviceable dude. Like Tyler Naquin is not going to tear the cover off the ball. He'd have a nice 2021, granted in Cincinnati, but 19 home runs, batted 270. Uh, and then he was traded from the – Reds to the Mets. I actually think I wanted the Brewers to look into Tyron Aquin. He didn't have a good, good second half with the Mets. Uh, only batting two hundred three, sort of struggled in the in the big city. But he's had he's had a couple years. It's weird. He's had some on off splits, which I I don't know what you could point that to. But twenty nineteen, he was ten home runs, two eighty eight, pretty consistent. And then as mentioned in twenty twenty one, so does that mean he's going to have an awesome twenty twenty three? But again, similar to putting pressure on Castanera, it puts a little pressure on Garrett Mitchell. It puts a little pressure on Tyrone Taylor that if these guys aren't at full capacity and they aren't dialed in here, that a guy like Tyler Naquin can come steal their job. I don't expect Tyler Naquin to be a starter, but it's certainly a guy that I could see at least on the opening day roster. I, I find it hard to, I think Naquin has a better chance to make the opening day roster than Luke Voigt. Even though I like Voigt's talent, if I'm looking at the roster construction, like you already have Brousseau, you already have Brian Anderson, and now you'd add Voigt. I, I feel like Heston Hero is a little, it, the Hero Voigt thing's tough, but I would I would lean Hero. And then with Naquin, there just seems like there's ample opportunity to be that fourth outfielder, assuming Winker's not going to do much you know, in terms of playing in the outfield. So yeah, it, it's right, man. And I think the Brewers are kind of set now offensively. I could still, I still kind of want a bullpen arm. Like I, Andrew Chafin signing with the Diamondbacks was a little ridiculous to me where I was like, Andrew Chafin looked very good in a Brewer uniform. I think it would have been $6 million. It was $6 million for Chafin. It's like, why not? I mean, they're really, really high on like Peter Strzelecki. They think Peter Strzelecki is going to be good Joel P- Joel Papias or Pamiamis Pamiamis I, I butchered that he he came over in the uh, William Contreras trade I guarantee you I'll do Wilson a couple times Holby Miller great year last year I don't know if that bounce backs there Javi Guerra was brought in from Tampa Bay in November they have a lot of just no name bullpen guys which it could be the scene in Major League where it's like who are these fucking guys and then they end up performing really well. Or it could be a disaster, and that could be the first thing that Matt Arnold needs to fix during the year. I'm not, I will go out on a limb right now, or not out on a limb, it's not even out on a limb thing. I will plant my flag, and that bullpen will probably be the thing that scares me the most about the Brewers starting this season. Uh, Devin Williams, great. How do you get to Devin Williams? 
that's the part that worries me at least for the first six months, six weeks of the year. Matt Bush left me very unimpressed, and that's that's another part of it. If Matt Bush is really going to be your setup guy, he has really two pitches. Like, how how do the Brewers work on making sure that he's not he's not predictable? Like, how do they fix that? Because Matt Bush, I thought, was one of the biggest detriments to the Brewers' season. Like, I know there was the thing, oh, Corbin Burns, like, oh, I got blamed for missing the playoffs, which was taken out of context. Todd Rosiak pointed that out in a podcast the other day. Uh, but I would put Matt Bush and Taylor Rogers as, like, the biggest reason the Brewers didn't make the playoffs. Those guys gave so many fucking home runs as bullpen guys. So that's that's that worries me. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But excited for Voight. Excited for Naquin. Uh, I think those are two just solid depth depth ads that I've kind of wanted the Brewers to do for a while had been asking for that sort of thing if you were going to go young I would have personally preferred actually signing a guy instead of just being like oh we're going to bring him back like a minor league deal and then we'll figure out how do we adjust our 40-man roster we'll just we'll sort of see how it goes um, but yeah good good start uh, and we'll see we'll get Brewer baseball this weekend uh, which I, I'll tell you it was spring training I don't watch much. I'll check out a box score. I'll read the tweets. But uh, I will occasionally turn on Euchre in the car if Euchre's calling the game. Or even if the game's on and the weather's nice outside and I have my windows down, I'll throw on a baseball game just to kind of get that. Get that little surge. Get that uh, dopamine, if you will. But yeah, uh, so excited. We'll talk, I'm sure, more about the Brewers as the weeks roll on. Moving on and finishing up with the Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers saga. I feel like we could do this every day. But yet another positive Jordan Love piece has dropped. So over the weekend, we talked about, and we talked about this on Monday's show, how there were articles on, you know, Brian Gunacus really thought Jordan Love was the guy. Uh, Bob McGinn was very adamant that the Packers were going to go to Jordan Love no matter what, that Aaron Rodgers was going to be his backup next season. And then today, interestingly enough, with Tom Palisario, this is before even we saw I saw the Jordan Love thing, that they want Aaron Rodgers to be all in. Now, this is very similar to Brett Favre in 2007. That part of the condition of Brett Favre coming back as he wavered on retiring or not was that Brett Favre had to be all in. And if Brett Favre was all in, then the Packers would have him back. Will Aaron Rodgers be all in and be ready to play with the Green Bay Packers? That remains to be seen. But with Jordan Love, Tyler Dunn, uh, aka number one Jordan Love defender, uh, wrote yet another positive Jordan Love piece. Uh, he wrote one two years ago, basically outlining that Jordan Love is ready, this is Jordan Love's moment, and made the case for Jordan Love. Before we get into Dunn's piece, a little bit of backstory on Dunn. Dunn famously wrote for Bleacher Report back in 2018, as things were crumbling with Mike McCarthy, all the dysfunction around the organization, McCarthy, Rogers, Rogers came out, really pitted the Packer fans against Tyler Dunn, uh, Tyler Dunn became unpopular with the Packer fan base. Um, and I think now it's kind of changed a little bit. And it's, it's, it's definitely different. 
But there was a real seemingly vendetta from Tyler Dunn against Aaron Rodgers. Now, I know Dunn would claim that that is not true. I've said before on podcasts a long time ago uh, but that like Dunn is way up there in terms of guys I'd want to interview. And I, I don't know if he would answer that question. I don't know if he'd answer it truthfully. And I would honestly have to look through my tweets and be like, hey, I said this about you. And I, and I, I think I would do that with everybody I'd interview. And I'd be like, hey, if you look at my name and you, there are some bad tweets or I've said something bad. I might even look and if it's like really bad, I'd delete it, whatever. But like, seriously, like I, I will, I'll be transparent. Like I'm not going to just, I'm, I'm, I think that it's wild when people are like, oh, I only got on podcasts where everyone agrees with me. Like that's not how life works. Okay. Like there are disagreements. Like, yeah, I wasn't a fan that you said this. Or I wasn't, I didn't agree with that. Like just cause I don't agree with something doesn't mean that I don't respect what you're doing. And that's just, and I, what Tyler Dunn does a lot of the independent stuff that I do, right? And does it better and made a career out of it and took that leap. Like, I didn't, I've not, right? He's more of a man than I am. So, all that to be said, like, he has really been adamant about Jordan Love. And I feel like part of that is driven by Aaron Rodgers and driven about how he feels about Aaron Rodgers. So he yet wrote yet another piece of it's Jordan Love time. It felt like the sequel to what he had written a couple of years ago. And basically in the article, it outlines that Love knows the playbook. He is fully dialed in. He's really, really smart that people see him as sort of why can't he be like Jalen Hurts uh, is out there. Uh, there's also that he was drafted to give Aaron Rodgers motivation, which is 100% bullshit. I, I don't buy that part from Tyler. I don't agree with that. He Tyler responded to a buddy of mine who posted that and he said, no, that's not the sole reason. It's like, yeah, but that's kind of how you pose it. So it's a little bit of misinformation there. But I, I really I really wonder like, okay, this, this has to be coordinated, right? Like, what, why are all of these Jordan Love pieces coming out right before the combine, right? Right before all of the discussion. All these guys are going to be in rooms together. All these guys are going to be at the steakhouses in Indianapolis talking. And the Jets have said, according to Diana Rossini, who I also called Derek Carr first ballot Hall of Famer. Again, the Jets are not Diana's. That if the Packers want to talk about Aaron Rodgers, the Jets are going to listen. So if you already know that, and basically they are maybe saying, all right, yeah, we're pushing Aaron out the door. And Aaron's still coming out of his darkness retreat and seeing that everything is stacked against it. It almost feels like the scene in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, why don't they love me anymore, man? And that's really sad. And, and it, it truly is. And I we can do an entire show on just how Aaron Rodgers was treated down the stretch, how I think things could have been handled differently from all involved parties, how the brain trust of McCart, of uh, Murphy, Gunacoust, and LaFleur was not the brain trust that I think we thought it was. Um, there's just, there's so much, right? So what will what will happen here? It, it does seem like the Packers are trying to force Aaron Rodgers to leave and to, to move on. They want him to pull the trigger. And I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to do it. So we could just be in this weird-ass holding pattern until somebody folds. And I, I don't know who that's going to be. And then maybe it's the Packers. Maybe the Packers just say, fuck it. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with the strap now. 
we think we think our polling, our PR tells us like it's not going to be a Brewers situation. Because I I guarantee you, they they were worried about that. They now they're the Packers. It's a little bit different, but the Packers have you know they they know that they they respect their brand. They know their fans are going to tell them when they don't like something. And there will be people who. Might leave the Packers and be Aaron Rodgers fans, just like they were Brett Favre fans. They come back. They always do. I've said it before. I'm at peace with whatever decision they make. And while I've been more that 50-50, just don't really know where this is going, I'm now starting to first time teeter over into the Jordan Love territory. Because it just seems like all of this is not an accident. So we'll have to see what happens. It'll be... I don't think it's ending anytime soon, but you never, never know. All right, we're going back tomorrow. Uh, new look keg jams. So you look forward to that. Shay Ken and I talking about a variety of topics. Uh, so excited to do that with him. Uh, we are also uh, going to get a podcast on Friday. So I'll do a Friday show. Um, we're going to do golden kegs for the year for the Milwaukee Bucks. So we're just going to run through all the Bucks, give them golden kegs, um, and we'll talk probably maybe a little bit about Miles Leonard. I didn't mention that on today's show. Just not no time, and I didn't think it needed a full segment. Um, and I will just give you – I put it on TikTok on Tabby the Keg Sports. You can watch it there. It's worth the risk. I realize what he said. Uh, he's worked, you know, in the Jewish communities in Southern Florida. I think he's done enough. Um, I believe in second chances. And if you don't believe in second chances and you're freaking out and you're wringing your hands over it, you don't need, not everything needs fucking engagement. You don't have to appease every corner of the fandom. If some people don't like it and some people don't agree with it, fuck them, as Tyler Kolek would say. It's a good way to end the show. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Wednesday. Back tomorrow with Shannon, and we'll talk to you then. All right. See you. Bye.